Hi everyone, James here. This week's podcast is a compilation. It's all the little bits from the last year of Fish which didn't quite fit in a show, um, but they're kind of self-contained little nuggets uh, and we put them all together for a little best of show. Uh, Really hope you enjoy it. We'll be back next week with a normal show, um, but in the meantime, Happy New Year. Something that bees do that people think is a, a lot of people think is impossible is fly, and so this is uh, it's, it's constantly claimed that they defy the laws of physics, and it's because an entomologist in 1934 wrote a book in which he said, <laughs> "I have applied to insects the laws of air resistance and have arrived at the conclusion that their flight is impossible." And it's not impossible, obviously, <laughs> but the way they do fly is not by flapping their wings up and down; it's by flapping them back and forth. So they go from front to back, and it's kind of like the motion of rowing. Oh, cool! I think so. Imagine uh, you put, if you put your hands out and your palm faces the ground, and then you move your arms forward with your palm facing the ground, and then when you get your arm in front of you, you flip your hand over so your palm's facing upwards, and you move your arm back, and then they fly with that motion. So they're doing backstroke. Um, is that you? Not must do really. a really weird backstroke, Dan. It's a bit more like the butterfly. Yeah. Yes, it is more like the butterfly. But it's yes. not. Oh, okay. And that creates kind of vortexes, which uh, reduces pressure above their wings and means they can fly. But isn't that cool? They, That's so very cool. When yeah. we they, try float, to... they float like a butterfly. Hey. <laughs> and sting like a bee. <laughs> so was he just a bee, Muhammad Ali? Yes. <laughs> I was actually thinking about this phrase yesterday because I saw a really good play about him. But butterflies don't really float. I mean, they fly, right? They don't. They don't just sit motionless in the air with their wings hanging. I just think it was a bit it's of a true. flawed statement. Yeah. But I think really it was more, ju- it was like a poem, wasn't it, really? Mm. It was just mm. a thing that he said and it scanned nicely. And mm. Yeah. I just, it wasn't really biologically accurate enough. <laughs> so you want to be what, float like a log? <laughs> float like a log, sting like a bee, that would have been much better. Punch like a boxer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just Imagine if Muhammad Ali had a few pedantic friends like you hanging out when he was like, "I've got this new line. I'm not sure. Can we go for the log one? Mm. I'm gonna do the. I'm gonna do the butterfly. Okay, on your head, be it, man. <laughs> um, early weather forecasters would steam on wet days on television. What do you mean, st- steam their maps? No, or? their clothes would steam gently. Yeah, no. I saw that, but I didn't what? understand why. Was well, it the heat of the? No, it was it was the heat of the lights. Lights, because yeah. they had been outdoors before. And oh, they weren't the... like it's going to be foggy tomorrow. <laughs> 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 just creating a bit of atmos. <laughs> no, they would. No, it was just under the hot lights in the in the BBC studios. But I didn't know this either. The Met Office is, or until recently was, part of the Ministry of Defence. Mm-hmm. It was a sort of affiliated body. Um, and so in the early days of weather forecasts on the TV, the weather charts were drawn up at what was called the Air Ministry, and then they were rolled up and they were put in a taxi to the BBC. Mm. So you could have lost the weather. <laughs> you tried. <laughs> That's good. I like this from George Cowling, who was uh, the BBC's first weather forecaster, who said that there were a few breakthrough moments where he realised he was really nailing it, because weather forecasts were really, really boring before the 50s when he sort of transformed them. Um, and he said there was one time quite early into weather forecasting where he predicted the weather and he said rain would reach North Wales and the northwest coast of England around lunchtime the following day and he got a telegram from a viewer the next day saying well done rain arrived Liverpool one (laughs) o'clock slam dunk mate absolutely (laughs) nailed that one 
company called Celeb for a Day, which offers on-demand paparazzi services. So you pay up to one and a half grand and um, they'll just have a team of photographers wait outside whichever venue you're going to that night and pretend that you're famous and shout out questions for you. And oh, do they? Isn't that weird? Mm. I was at um, an awards ceremony once um, and left as the paparazzi were there and you could kind of hear them all for about a millisecond start snapping their things and then realise that I wasn't someone famous <laughs> and there's like an audible <laughs> screwing back of lens caps yeah, exactly. yeah. when Daniel Radcliffe was performing in a play in the West End he wore uh, the same outfit as he left the theatre every night for six months so the paparazzi's photos weren't worth anything because they looked exactly the same I thought oh, it was wow. quite clever oh that's quite clever yeah. yeah but they could report on how bad he was smelling yeah. <laughs> more and more flies every yeah. <laughs> every night so a study was done this year that found that in 20% of scientific papers on genetics there are mistakes because Excel reformats gene names into dates oh my god because it's in one fifth of papers and that's because genes have names like MAR1 or DEC1 or OCT4. So they all look to Excel like a date. And so in one fifth of papers, this is a mistake. And also, you know that thing in Excel where if you try to undo it once it's reformatted it to a date, it then corrects to um, how it stores dates internally. So for instance, if you are dealing with a gene which is M-A-R-C-H-1, March 1, which is membrane-associated ring finger C3HC41, as you all knew. Classic. It's a classic gene. <laughs> it is, it really is. Excel reformats it to make it 1st of March and then if you hit undo it then makes it 42430 because that's how it stores right. the 1st of March in its database so all, all these poor geneticists oh are going no it's a bloody gene and Excel's going no I think you mean the 5th of May One recent experiment I saw done with mice is they gave it a molecule called ISRIB and it makes them smarter and oh, they reckon yeah. this might be a molecule you can give to humans to make them smarter Okay, how can they tell that it makes them smarter? Because I've seen bitching in the scientific community about the fact that mice are the idiots of the rodent world to the genius of rats. So yeah. are they trying to make them compete with rats? In yeah. what way are they smarter? In a quiz. No, it's the basic way of seeing how smart a mouse is is by putting an underwater um, platform in a pool of water and then putting the mouse in and seeing how long it takes him to find the platform. I see. Wait, that sounds very like testing for witches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then when it gets to the platform, you do burn it <laughs> yeah. as a witch. There's a massive list of hundreds and hundreds of foods on Wikipedia that are named after people. There's only two that really caught my eye. One is that Van Gogh has a potato named after him. Wow. Um, but also, Jesus has only one food. Really? Yeah, and only we, one. And we learned that Donald Trump has two named after him in his Thanksgiving dinner that he had last month. Two of the dishes served were named after him. Yeah, it was a chocolate cake, wasn't it? Chocolate cake and a salad. Yeah. So he had the Trump salad and the massive racist chocolate cake. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys read about this guy, Claude Ruggieri? No. So Claude Ruggieri was an Italian who was living in Paris in 1806. And according to Marshall Space Flight Center, uh, he used to send animals into space on balloons, I think. Right. Oh, no, sorry. He sent animals onto space in his own homemade rockets and then they were recovered by a parachute. And, and how were they when they were recovered? <laughs> they were really healthy, actually. Yeah. Um, apparently, French authorities halted Ruggieri's plans when they came to suggest launching a small boy using a rocket cluster. 
you do see occasional stories of someone who's tied a lot of balloons to a chair and and that's, flies that's up. You've watched Up by Pixar. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That, is that true? Or is yeah, that, no. You yeah. see people yeah. trying it, and then they other. shoot a balloon to to sort of bring themselves down again. Yeah. It's not inconceivable that he would have done that and assumed because he never saw them again, they must have kept going up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how long till the first person who was just a normal person worked out that when they let a balloon off into the air that it did pop and come back down? You would just yeah. assume it. I would assume it just, would just keep going. They didn't really have balloons for quite a long time. <laughs> no, no, that's true, yeah. yeah. I think uh, they had bladders. Though, like, um, they had bladders. Did they have helium? No. Well, no, no, no. Air. It would be hot air, wouldn't it? They would use they would light fire underneath. Yeah, they didn't the really place. isolate helium till mm. quite late on. Okay, so there goes that theory. <laughs> Pop so goes that theory. Northern words that I would use that you guys would never use. Mm, like, for yep. instance, I would say ginnel for um, a path between two houses, and I would use that. I mean, I don't use it every day, but every time I walk, <laughs> every time I walk through a ginnel, I would use that word. You would say you because you constantly say out loud the things you're doing as you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm from London. I will constantly say things like liberal elite media bubble. <laughs> But not really, because it's like in the same way fish don't have a word for water. Yeah. <laughs> um, just a little thing about the Guinness Book of Records. Oh, yeah. Um, that's been going for a long time. It's uh, first compiled by two brothers, Norris and Ross McWhorter. Uh, and someone had a bet about what was the fastest bird, and they decided to put down this um, group of all the records in the world. Um, the first one, it took them 16 weeks and they sent loads of letters to experts and consultants around the world. But the problem was that people would just exaggerate all the time. And so they got a letter from a guy in Africa saying that they'd measured the flight of a fly at 820 miles an hour. That's twice the speed of sound. <laughs> and this guy wanted them to put that in as the world's fastest fly. Wow. Well, and they just heard the buzzing reach them 10 minutes after the fly had passed. One really interesting ecosystem that exists and that's really important is whale fall. So I didn't know about this, but whale carcasses are really important habitats as well to other creatures. And not many of them have been found. But basically, when whales die, then creatures live in them on the bottom of the ocean. We haven't found many, but when we do, we tend to find new species on them. So first of all, a bunch of scavengers live inside the whale carcass and eat all the flesh off them. And then these bone-boring animals come along. So, for instance, we found a new species of bone-boring worm in 2005 living in a whale carcass and it's called the bone-eating snot flower which yeah (laughs) and it was really cool because it looks the reason it's called that is because it looks like a flower its backside looks like a flower as it pokes out of the bone as it's gnawing into it and then after the bones have been eaten then uh, bacteria comes along and then other stuff comes and feeds on that so they create these like really vital ecosystems whale carcasses that's like Mm. i was reading an article about ocean animals that live purely on land-based food mm-hmm. so logs oh, when yeah, logs yeah. and plants go into the ocean and 90 percent of the animals that are found in these logs aren't found anywhere else on any other uh, bit of coral or wherever in the ocean that's their living place 90 yeah. percent so they just have to wait for another log to fall in and some of them are a really long way yeah. in yeah. the ocean they're yeah. not coastal you know it's you, mad you yeah. can see why people used to think that animals just came from nowhere because you would find a log there and suddenly there were tons of animals yes and yeah. people thought that they would just come from rotten logs or whatever so that's why you know the tate and lyle image is the lion with a load of bees flying out of it oh that's the famous technical image that's because they thought that uh, bees were generated spontaneously from lion carcasses the idiots (laughs) 
I was reading about elephant penises, and mm-hmm. they sound very, very cool. Um, they use their penis to swat away flies. Really? No. Yeah, and also if they have like an itch on their belly, they'll just use their penis to itch their belly. No, well, way. we all do that, Dan. <laughs> I can use it to itch. You know that bit at the back that you can't quite reach. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure you can. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know, I just had no idea about this. Colin Powell wanted to run for president in the 90s, um, in 1996, and he decided not to because his wife was too worried that he would be assassinated by really? white supremacists. Wow. Yeah, huh. And that's the thing that Michelle Obama said uh, she had to be really talked into when Obama wanted to run was the risk of being assassinated or harmed by white supremacists. Yes. Talked and around. there was an assassination attempt on Obama, which barely anyone knows about because the Secret Service didn't notice it until four days later. And it wasn't even them who noticed. It was one of the ushers, one of the house cleaning staff at the White House, when they saw that one of the windows had gun bullets fired through it. No yeah, one, yeah. one of the windows had smashed. Yeah. And they had no idea. And they eventually caught the guy. He's in jail now. He's serving 25 years. Um, and they found bullet holes, yeah, in the White yeah. House. And they had no idea. Four days. It's a long time to go... The man who developed the noise, the the reversing noise, the beep, beep, beep. Vehicle um, reversing. Not that, actually. It's the actual beep. Uh, His name is Chris Hansen Abbott. He developed it in the 1970s, and it's used all over the world now. And he regrets that sound because he says that everyone finds it really annoying and he hates it. So he developed a new one, which is like sort of... and it sounds a bit like sea waves, waves crashing in the sea, yeah. but in short bursts. And now that he's trying to get that adopted and oh. it's beginning to be well, used. Surely the whole point of that is it's annoying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, exactly. You don't want to yeah. have um, your, you know, your alarm going off in the morning and it's just beautiful, relaxing <laughs> waves going off. <laughs> well, no, this is, it. this is it. It's supposed to attract attention and to be easy to recognise and to work out where the sound is coming from, but that's slightly different from being annoying. So he regrets that he made it too effective and too annoying. And now he's trying to make one that does the same job, but is less intrusive than Julia. I think. I think the speaking person is way more annoying. Vehicle reversing. Yeah. For me, that's... I know. That's why. That's what the beep has told me. Or I like the ones where you've got the money trucks and they're like, please, help, help. I am under attack. Please call the police. Have you seen those oh, ones? Yeah, they're yeah, so they're weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. never heard the noise, though. It's literally, it's literally a person just shouting that and it's a recording of a person saying, help, help. I wow. am under attack. And so when you heard that, was the thing being actually attacked? Well, he was the one He's, trying to steal yeah. from me. <laughs> <laughs> Jellyfish. In times of need, they um, <laughs> eat their own bodies, and because they can survive with a small portion of their bodies, that's okay. So I think a jellyfish of 18 centimeters can degrow uh, to be 1.4 centimeters and then grow back again. Wow. That's cool, right? Is it when they're stressed as well? Because octopuses chew their own arms when they're really stressed. Yeah. It's not nice. No, just when they're hungry. They're not very anxious creatures. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't think there would be a net gain of eating yourself, though, would you? Like, if I eat my finger, I'm still going to be the same weight as I was before I ate the finger. But you, won't be, but you won't be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's true. It's a short term strategy. <laughs> I've got uh, one last thing that I really like, which is the uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, the, the main characters of Lord of the Rings, the actors in real life, to celebrate the amazing time that they had, they all got a tattoo, which was of Elfish for nine. Everyone got it except for Gimli, who didn't want to get it. 
so he got his stunt double to get it instead. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. He's got it. His stunt double's like this random guy who's a part of the crew now. Have you seen my tattoo? Let me just ring him up. <laughs> <laughs> Think about Donald Trump as well. Mm -hmm. So he, um, you know, he, there's been the story in the papers this week. He's made this enormous loss in his taxes. The, the year he did this, 1995, two um, percent of net operating losses occurred by American taxpayers in that year was Donald Trump. <gasps> yes, five hundred thousand people declared a net operating loss, and he was two percent of the entire sum. Do you know that um, his, that's why it makes sense that if you look at his tax records, which were published in the New York Times, um, the figures are a bit off kilter. So the first two digits of the 900 they're, and something they're million. They're extremely off kilter. <laughs> that's because the tax software couldn't take a figure that large. So his accountant had to add it manually afterwards with a typewriter. <laughs> Whoa! Because it was not rigged to be working in the hundreds of millions in terms of losses. <laughs> the most dangerous jobs in America. Assassinating president. a president? No, being a president. Being well, also president. assassinating presidents, probably. Yeah. Quite a few of them got shot, didn't they? Yeah. Got... Yep. Yeah, yeah. You can't really say it's one of the most dangerous jobs in America because it's quite different to what it was 150 years ago, isn't it? That's true. That's so, true. We wouldn't say uh, being a trawler man is one of the most dangerous jobs in the world and then for our evidence use trawler men from the 1400s. No. Although it is a very dangerous job. Yes, it is. Yeah. It was actually quite a bad example for me to choose. I should have chosen for pretty Something bad. that's a really safe job now, but was really dangerous in the 1400s. Nonetheless, if there was a one in ten chance of me being shot at QI, I would resign immediately. But there's not a one in ten chance. Well, there is a one in ten chance of you being shot at QI, actually. But... That's only because of my brilliant points I keep on making. <laughs> Uh, so compasses weren't used to tell directions for many, many years after they were discovered, were they? They were discovered in China in the 4th century BC, roughly, or first built in China in the 4th century BC. And they were used for feng shui, essentially. So they were used for spiritual reasons to decide where to build a house or where to put your furniture or where to have a tomb. Um, and yeah, it was many hundreds of years after that we learned that we could actually use it to find places. So a modern version. So um, satellite dishes all point slightly east of south. So if you get lost in the city, you can use a dish to work out where north is. If you haven't mm. got a compass. Oh uh, Yeah, although if you see someone walking past your house staring at your satellite dish, you do call the police <laughs> and report a suspected robber in the yeah, area. I was just lost. My compass wasn't working. <laughs> <laughs> My satellite dish method has led me to your <laughs> house. <laughs> to your front door. Great. <laughs> Another thing in London, at least, and in other big cities, in the morning, if you're lost, follow the crowd because they'll take you to a tube station. And in the evening, go against the crowd because they're coming from a tube station. Very oh, good. It's the other way around. In the morning, everyone, in the centre of a city... Everyone's yeah. walking away from the tube station oh, in the in morning. Oh, in the centre. Yeah, I see. I'm yeah. thinking, where am I going to be in the morning? Near my house. <laughs> ah. But then, to be honest, I'm not lost in that situation, am I? But I frequently wake up in the middle of a city centre and don't know where I am. Or even what city it is. So, yeah. yeah. What if you're so lost you can't tell the difference between the city centre and the outskirts? So you don't know whether to go with the crowd or away from the crowd? Just study the number of satellite dishes. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's why we have, have that more. backup. <laughs> Neutron stars are incredibly heavy, dense. They weigh the same as half a million Earths, but they would fit into a ball 
the size of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. They're so dense. How Magne- do they not fall out the sky then? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are their own. I was really missing Dan on this podcast. <laughs> Um, they are so far away that it's not a problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, mag- so those are neutron stars. Magnetars are like super neutron stars. They're a thousand times stronger. We only know about ten of them in our galaxy. And the field strength is a thousand trillion times stronger than the Earth's magnetic field. A thousand trillion. I know that's just a very, very large number. Yeah, but what a number. We lots. can't really. Yeah. It's too big. We can't. All can't right. get it into we your head. On. Moving on. Um, <laughs> Um, I really like, uh, so obviously a lot of people like to attack people who believe in astrology and and so on. And Dave Gorman did a, the comedian in Britain, for anyone overseas, Dave Gorman, he, uh, he did a show where he tried to follow his horoscope completely to the word for 30 days. It was a big experiment. <laughs> and he was using all sorts of different uh, horoscopes, but he was largely using the one by Jonathan Kainer. Uh, Jonathan Kainer was a very famous uh, astrologer um, for the sun, I think it was. Male. Was it the male? Yeah. So Gorman suddenly thought, hang on, I think this guy has cottoned on to my act here because he just started finding that his particular horoscope reading was just a bit more advanced. Did it say, you're going to kill him tonight, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's one that he had. So he's a Pisces. And on one of the days of the entries during the experiment, when he knew that Gorman was doing this, because it was very much publicized, uh, this was the entry. Stand on one leg, place a bowl of cereal in your left hand and a tangerine in your right. Balance three books on your head and jump up and down. What do you mean this is difficult? I haven't finished yet. Sing the national anthem backwards and jump into a bucket of water. While still on one leg, peel the tangerine and flick the segments into the bowl one at a time. Why? What do you mean, why? Why not? You seem happy enough to take a bunch of other daft orders for no good reason today. <laughs> and that was published in a newspaper wow. and Gorman had to do that because it was part had of his... Had to do that. As well, as part of his experiment. So it's very strange because p- my mum is a Pisces and we have always wondered about that morning. <laughs> that one morning. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> There's, a, there's an Aussie word that I use that's not translated over here, yeah. uh, which is Khan. C-A-R-N. Khan. And Khan. Oh, I've heard you say that. Yeah. I thought it meant come on. Like, it does, oh. yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't get used here. But back home, it does get used all the time. But it also, it doesn't mean just come on in the sense of like, come on, we're late. It also means come on as in like, oh, come on. Like, you know, in the scene in the Titanic, when the guy falls off and he hits the rudder on the way down, mm. yeah. his last word would have been Khan. Because that would be oh, like something's really unfair or that as well. Yeah, I'm falling to my death. So yeah, that's Ooh. a big word that's not yet made it over here. That. I haven't seen Titanic. What? Wow, that's a whole big conversation we yeah, need to have. Yeah, I, I know about the Titanic, so yeah. I mean, I figure it's like watching a long documentary about something I already know about. I have also not seen it, but I think that I've seen enough spoofs of it that I pretty much know everything that happens. Yeah. Okay, mm. guys. Well, aren't you guys cool? Yeah. <laughs> um, there was You've seen Titanic 2. I've seen Titanic 2. <laughs> I'm waiting for Titanic 3. I can't get enough. He only watched Titanic 1, so he'd understand the plot line to Titanic 2. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a group of... There's a species of bee which only lives in abandoned snail shells. Really? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a solitary bee, obviously. It doesn't live in a hive. So, um, yeah, the, it's called Osmia bicolor. And this is part of a group of bees called helicophiles, or shell lovers. 
And it's so sweet. So the female lays an egg inside the shell and then it, it, it fills the rest of it with grains of sand and pebbles to act as a barricade against oh. intruders. <laughs> and then she flies off and she comes back with uh, all these dried grass and twigs and she covers over this empty snail shell with, with her egg in it and she glues it together with saliva and she makes a little pyramid, basically, for the egg to rest inside. And wow. this is so cool. So this is from a feature on uh, Wired, I found this. When she flies back holding a twig, it does look like it's a bee riding a tiny broomstick. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, The coolest thing, I think, about snails, sorry, just quickly, (laughs) is that they can walk upside down on water. And um, this is incredible, and we only just worked out how they do this, but... Um, so essentially most freshwater snails don't have gills they have lungs so they need to be in open air to breathe rather than in water so some of them like the apple snail which is a common pet have a little snorkel device which they shoot up to the surface which uh, gets (laughs) air in but a lot of them have a lung which they want to be exposed to air at all times and so they float on top of the water with this lung exposed and what they can do is they can turn upside down and attach themselves to the undersurface of the water and they use a combination of surface tension and then the viscous kind of drag from the slime that they um, exude, and that's just the right balance that they can just crawl upside down along the surface of the w- undersurface of the water. That is amazing. Wow. It's Isn't really it cool? cool. And do you reckon they come across other snails going on the other side, and they're like, "It's my reflection." Oh no, it's another. <laughs> 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 Just one or two little Pokemon Go things. Yeah, sure. A non-governmental agency in Bosnia has warned players to beware of landmines while trying to catch Pokemon. Right, yeah. Which also generally, just whenever, whatever you're doing, be aware of landmines. Mm. That's true, yeah. I think the prop, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Actually, you can um, genetically modify Cress so that when it's stressed going over landmines, it changes colour, and that's one way of finding landmines. Ah. Really? Just bringing it back to that. But no help for Pokemon wow. finding. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and finally, two men in California ignored warning signs and fell off a cliff when playing Pokemon. (laughs) They're okay though, aren't they? Um, It was an article in CNN Mm-hmm. And it said that this happened, and it said that they'd had injuries, but it was uncertain how bad their injuries were. But I think maybe it wasn't a massive cliff, and I hope they're okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> Is there any market for something that's not about anuses? I think so, yeah. I can do I mean, that. I'm, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to over destroy your format. <laughs> Uh, but it's about caterpillars, mm. silkworms. Do you know about this? So the, um, in uh, the Byzantine Empire, they needed silk, and it was ruinously expensive, but the silk was produced in China, and the uh, uh, trade was controlled by the Persians, who had ch- choked it off. And so Justinian I sent two monks to China to smuggle out some silkworm eggs, which they did. They had uh, bamboo walking sticks, which are hollow, you know, mm. and they, they uh, made false sort of uh, things inside, and they smuggled silkworm eggs in their bamboo starves, and it took them two years to do it and oh. destroyed the uh, monopoly and the whole of the Byzantine economy was based on the silkworm industry in, from, um, they brought back in their bamboo stuff for the next 650 years no oh. way yeah, yeah. and then the mulberry leaves that they eat had to be brought by a different path by some other people so it was oh, a real major wow. and you see it's a proper sort of Jason Bourne style uh, thriller isn't it really being those two monks and trying to get them, bring them, schlep them back through all the Persians. And yeah. Sort yeah. of, yeah. Well, sort so, of. Some version of the Born Identity hasn't been made yet. 
I was reading a good article in a local Scottish newspaper about a DIY store in Stirling, which a hedge outside it, a 30-foot hedge, had been taken over by caterpillars, and it's turned into this enormous web, and you should look it up, it is impressive. And so they, they closed it off, and they invited people to come and visit it as a tourist spot. And the newspaper said that visitors from as far away as Motherwell have travelled to see the unusual <laughs> height, wow. which yeah, is, if you're interested, a 40-minute drive from Stirling. Yeah. That's a full 40 minutes people travelled. That's quite a long way. So, uh, more than 40 minutes, you would sort of think, mm. Mm. Is yeah. it, could I, I be bothered? We could have lunch. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, the tobacco hawk moth caterpillar, this mm-hmm. is a cool caterpillar, it has two different walking systems for different parts of its body. So it walks normally with its legs, but then its gut, which is obviously on the base of it, walks a step out of sync. Oh, they think the they all do, do that. It walks a step ahead. Yeah. It's they bizarre. think this is how caterpillars move, is their organs move in front of them. Isn't that amazing? It's so amazing. Yeah. This was in 2010. They put them on a tiny treadmill, <laughs> and I can't <laughs> find any images of the tiny treadmill they made for caterpillars. Oh, so annoying. Should we photograph this or take a video for posterity? Nah. Nah. Who would want to see that? We have the ability to tell the future, and we don't know why. In 2012, this meta-analysis was done of studies from 1975 that looked at 26 experiments which show people a series of random images. So in lots of experiments, they do that for various reasons. And they'll suddenly put up a scary image, like a a slithering snake with big fangs. Mm. And it found that people are able to tell between 1 and 10 seconds in advance when the snake image is going to come up totally at random so they're not primed in any way to tell that it sounds completely insane people are going to get very angry I'm saying this I know this uh, sounds like the kind of shit I usually say but you too <laughs> I, I don't this doesn't sound very true at all it sounds like nonsense doesn't it but look they looked at these 26 experiments and they said at the end Ooh. the cause of this anticipatory activity which undoubtedly does lie within the realm of natural physical processes remains undetermined so they said it's not supernatural guys but actually come on we're able to predict what scary pictures coming up like, my immediate thought is that the, the experimenter is giving something away. Yeah, it does Or, or that we're all just yeah, so fundamentally right. similar that our, our uh, the people who put the order in, yeah. uh, you can kind of predict that just because you're both humans. So you kind of, you naturally have, we naturally That's have true. an un- unrandomizing kind the of... The other thing is, if you can predict it between one and 10 seconds and they're coming up every couple of seconds, then you can say, one's going to come and you have five chances of it coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Five. I think James is right. I think it's the guy who's doing the experiment doesn't realise he's going, who's going to hate this dragon picture? (laughs) Ready for your next one? (laughs) Must stop these researchers from talking to themselves out loud. (laughs) But let's keep an open mind and say maybe it is unexplained. Yeah. Yeah. Open minds, people. Yeah. There's a thing about Trump and the Secret Service, which is that during the election campaign, uh, they paid him $1.6 million. Have you heard this? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that they can fly on his plane. Oh, yeah. Because whenever, well, yeah, when you're a candidate for one of the two big parties, you get a security detail and they have to accompany you everywhere you go. And they obviously pay for their tickets because they've got funding. However, if you're traveling on a plane owned by the candidate, you have to pay him money yeah i I have to say though i don't think that that is exclusive to trump um because the clintons did that as well and i think they've taken over two million from the secret service in terms of things that they've uh yeah 
tax them for. God, you don't want to be the candidate who doesn't rock up with your own personal aeroplane, do you? What do you do? You're just disqualified from applying. <laughs> you want to be the candidate who's also an Uber driver. Yeah. <laughs> he also had the most amazing looking helmet, which actually... <laughs> What's your problem? Double, double use, isn't it? Double, <laughs> double meaning. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm not that familiar with that term, but thanks. He also had a really lovely, moist, rounded helmet. <laughs> <laughs> they found some Neanderthal bones and they've checked about the markings on them. And some of them have um, evidence of cannibalism. They've got like teeth marks on them. And then other ones have got like scraping marks where you can see they've been made into like kind of rudimentary tools. So once their friends died or their, you know, other Neanderthals died, they would kind of turn them into tools and food. That, that makes, quite, that makes sense, that. yeah. I yeah would, it's like I an would, organ donation. Yeah. Yeah. Would yeah. you like to be turned into a spade? Uh, yeah. Well, I think my ribcage could be a quite a nice tux rack. <laughs> 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 